Let's open our Bibles, please, to the book of Amos, chapter 7. Now, we read on down and gave us a few things in chapter 8, and chapter 7 and 8, and even 9, as far as the outline is concerned. But we didn't delve into enough of the context that uh, I feel that we need to get into. <clears throat> we said that from chapter 7 through 9, verse 10, that we have five visions of witness. Five visions of witness. And uh, we touched on these, and I'll just give them to you briefly and then give you where they're found. We have the devouring locust. We have the consuming fire. We have the plumb line. And then in chapter 8, a basket of summer fruit. In chapter 9, Jehovah beside the altar. And each one of these things have to do with a witness of God of judgment that is either threatened or is coming, that's imminent, or executed. And so, we just kind of briefly got into it in chapter 7, verse, verses 1 through 3. We have the devouring locusts here. Chapter 7, verses 1 through 3. And so, we're going to just cover this again as briefly as we can and get into some more things. So, if you will, chapter 7, verse 1. Thus hath the Lord God showed unto me, and behold, he formed grasshoppers. Now, this was what God showed to Amos. It wasn't necessarily what happened, because we're going to see in a moment, when he shows these devouring locusts, that uh, it's a threat of judgment. And because of Amos' intercession and mediation, God withholds that that he would have brought upon them. So, verses 1 through 3 is the vision of the devouring locust. Thus hath the Lord God showed unto me, and behold, he formed grasshoppers in the beginning of the shooting up of the latter growth, and lo, it was the latter growth after the king's mowings. And it came to pass that when they had made an end of eating the grass of the land, this is what these locusts would have done, then I said, this is Amos, O Lord God, Forgive, I beseech thee, by whom shall Jacob arise? For he is small. It says, The Lord repented for this. It shall not be, saith the Lord. So, here in this passage of Scripture, you have judgment that is threatened. God threatens to destroy them with a plague of locusts, these devouring locusts. And yet, on the other hand, uh, through Amos' intercession, the Lord repented for this. It shall not be saith the Lord. So you have judgment is restrained. So you might attach to these verses judgment threatened and restrained. Judgment threatened and restrained. Now the same thing, let's notice in verses 4 through 6. We have a consuming fire. And it says in verse 4, Thus hath the Lord God showed unto me, and behold, the Lord God called to contend by fire. And it devoured the great deep, and did eat up a part. Then said I, O Lord God, cease, I beseech thee. By whom shall Jacob arise? For he is small. The Lord repented for this. Uh, This also shall not be, saith the Lord God. So you have again, judgment was threatened by devouring fire. And yet it was restrained through Amos. Intercession. Now then, verses 7 through 9, we have another one. And this is a vision of the plumb line. Thus he showed me. And behold, the Lord, this is verse 7. Chapter 7, verse 7. Thus he showed uh, me, and behold, the Lord stood upon a wall made by a plumb line, with a plumb line in his hand. And the Lord said unto me, Amos, what seest thou? And I said, a plumb line. Then said the Lord, behold, I will set a plumb line in the midst of my people Israel. I will not again pass by them any more. And the high places of Isaac shall be desolate, 
and the sanctuaries of Israel shall be laid waste, and I will rise uh, against the house of Jeroboam with a sword. So in verses 7 through 9, you have the plumb line. And this means that judgment is determined, that it's settled. You know, the plumb line tests the trueness of a wall. You put that plumb line or anything perpendicular, and you hang the, the plumb bob down at the ground, and you let the wind quit blowing it, and let it get real still on that string. And when it gets to a perfectly still position, that's the point. Wherever that point is, if there's a variation in the wall this much or this much or a little bit, you're going to see every little flaw, even if there's a curve in it or whatever. It's going to be revealed. And this plumb line is like, uh, it's the test of God's Word and God's holy law shows that all of Israel, it shows that it's crooked and must be condemned. And so it's tested by God's holy Word and by God's holy law. And you know that's a that's the best test we can have. If God's word puts his plumb line, if God puts his plumb line of his word and of his law, and we vary from either one, it shows the untrueness of our lives and Israel, their crookedness was revealed by this plumb line, and it showed that they were crooked and uh, that all about them must be condemned. And it shows in verse nine uh, what this condemnation would exist of. It says uh, and the high places of Isaac shall be desolate, and the sanctuaries of Israel shall be laid waste, and I will rise against the house of Jeroboam with a sword. So all of these things were determined to be. The first two times, the grasshoppers or the locusts, were, the judgment was threatened, and then it was restrained. In the devouring fire, the judgment was threatened, and then it was restrained. But this, when the plumb line is set, God says, I will not, look. notice the last part of verse 8, I will not again pass by them anymore. He says it's determined. Now then, uh, when you come to, we'll have to leave off now with these five visions of witness because we have in verses 10 through 17 in this chapter what we call a historical interlude. It's like a parenthesis in the whole uh, system of things because uh, let me just point out two things. From 10 to 17, we have this interlude. But the, if you'll drop down to chapter 8, verse 1, we'll see the next one of these uh, visions of witness. And I'll give you these, and we'll come back and deal with chapter 7, verse 10 through 17. But let, let's notice 8, verse 1, just for the sake of uh, looking ahead. Thus hath the Lord God showed unto me, and behold, a basket of summer fruit. Now this is the next vision of witness that we have. And then chapter 9, verse 1. I saw the Lord standing upon the altar, and he said, Smite the little lintel, uh, that the doorpost may shake. So, you have two more visions of witness, and you've seen in chapter 8, verse 1, and 9, verse 1, which that will be all five of these visions of witness. And if you've looked at the Scripture there, you'll see there's a basket of summer fruit, and that's chapters 8, verse 1 through 14. And then you'll see Jehovah beside the altar, chapter 9, verses 1 through 10. And when you get to that basket of summer fruit, you'll find that judgment is imminent, just like it's ripe for judgment. You know, summer fruit, you take like uh, your bananas and your uh, uh, the fruits that uh, perish right away, and uh, 
grapes and various other things that won't last too long. There's a lot of fruits, even pears and some apples and, you know, whatever. There's, there's a lot of fruits that are very perishable. And we won't go into all of them, but you know that there's some that you keep a day or two and if you don't use them, they're gone, right? And so it shows here this basket of summer fruit that judgment was imminent. We'll deal with it at length when we get to it. And in chapter 9, verse 1, the Lord Himself standing upon on the altar or beside the altar. And uh, you'll find that judgment there is uh, actually uh, executed. We'll find it executed in chapter 9, verses 1 through 10. But let's drop back now to chapter 7, if you will. Now, this is Bible study, and if, you, if you're not diligent in it, you'll get lost on it. And I think I'm trying to make it as clear and plain as possible, but uh, I know that it's difficult even, even then to get it all. But if you look at chapter 7, verses 10 through 17, we have what we call here a historical interlude, or a parenthesis, or uh, some scripture in between uh, before we get to that next vision of witness. Now, let's look at it. And it's a, it's a situation between Amaziah and uh, between Amos. Amaziah and Amos. It says, let's read it and then we'll come back and talk about it. Then, then Amaziah, the priest of Bethel, sent to Jeroboam, king of Israel. This is 7 verse 10. Saying, Amos, Amos has conspired against thee in the midst of the house of Israel. The land is not able to bear all his words. For thus Amos saith, Jeroboam shall die by the sword, and Israel shall surely be led away captive out of their own land. This is what Amos was predicting. Also Amaziah said unto Amos, O thou seer, go flee thee away into the land of Judah. That was in the southern part. And there he prayed and prophesied there. But prophesy not again any more in Bethel, that's in the north, uh, for it is the king's chapel and it is the king's court. Preach to everybody but the king, especially this wicked king Jeroboam. Then answered Amos and said unto Amaziah, I was no prophet, neither was I a prophet's son, but I was an herdman and a gatherer of sycamore fruit. And the Lord took me as I followed the flock, and the Lord said unto me, Go prophesy unto my people Israel. Not down in Judah, but Israel. Now therefore hear thou the word of the Lord. Thou sayest, Prophesy not against Israel, and drop not thy word against the house of Isaac. Therefore thus saith the Lord, Thy wife shall be an harlot in the city, and thy sons and thy daughters shall fall by the sword, and thy land shall be divided by line, and thou shalt die in a polluted land, and Israel shall surely go uh, into captivity forth of this land. So you have a conflict between Amaziah, the false priest of Bethel, and uh, the false prophet, and Amos, the true prophet of God, that God had chosen him to, to cry out and against Israel. Amos is the apostate priest at Bethel who led in the idol worship. And he tried to intimidate Amos, but Amos wasn't that easy. He's just kind of like a backwoods preacher. And he came out and he said, you know, I'm not going to pay any attention to that. Look at the details here you find. And let's go through it again slowly. I want you to find verse 10. Then Amos the priest of Bethel sent to Jeroboam king of Israel wicked king, idolatrous worship, and said, look, he said to Jeroboam and he says, saying, Amos has conspired against thee in the midst of the house of Israel. The land is not able to bear all his words. So Amos was accused by Amaziah, this false priest, of conspiring against the king. And he repeats, he says something that Amos 
say it, and he truly did say it. Verse 11, For thus Amos saith, Jeroboam shall die by the sword. He did. And Israel shall surely be led away captive out of their own land. They did. They were. In verse 12, Also Amos I said unto Amos, O thou seer, go flee thee away into the land of Judah. In other words, you go back home. We don't want you up here. You go back home and look. And there eat bread and prophesy there. He's saying to Amos, the prophet of God, that God had chosen to prophesy against Israel. He's saying, you go home and, and you eat bread there. In other words, you're just preaching for a living, for money. And you go back there, you'll be taken care of back there. He accused Amos of preaching just for his keep, so to speak, and for what he could get out of it. You know, a lot of people in Paul's day, they kind of uh, indicated that they thought Paul was was of that character. And Paul set the record straight, didn't he? He said, Paul said that he went to Philippi and he says, No church communicated with me but ye only. It's concerning giving and receiving the church of Philippi that he established. Remember the Philippian jailer? Remember Lydia? And then the Philippian jailer? And how the church of Philippi was established by the Apostle Paul during a, a, a terrible time. He and Paul and Silas were thrown in the prison and the at midnight, well, they were heard praying and singing praises to God in spite of it. And God sent an earthquake and opened the prison doors and loosed everyone's chains. And the, the Philippian jailer came in and he said, oh, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? He would have killed himself. He thought the prisoners had been fled. And there's where that church was established. And Paul was accused by the Corinthians and others. Well, maybe like Amaziah was accusing uh, Amos here, preaching for money. It's good when the church is able to pay, pay the preacher to, to do the work. But a preacher that won't do it without it is a pretty sorry preacher. Because if God has called you to do it, you do it anyway. You just do it anyway. And uh, thank God that, that the church is able to pay your pastor now. And, and you've been so wonderful and good to me in these last years, but there was a time for about 18 years that I drove nails from 7 o'clock, you talk about early breakfast, from 7 o'clock in the morning till I couldn't see at night and rush home and try to get a lesson and come up here on Wednesday nights. And uh, sometimes I had time to clean up, take a shower, and sometimes not. But anyway, be that as it may, for many years it was that way. And, and the Lord uh, helped me through it, and my family through it, and we made it all right. We got the church paid for. Everything is in good financial order now, thanks to all of you that have been faithful through the years, and all those that have come uh, of late and have supported the Lord's work as you have. And, you know, I believe if we follow God's plan, it's going to continue that, that direction where the, the church will be well off and be able to do what we need to do here and help our missionaries and help the work of God uh, throughout and continue to do what God wants us to do. We've got a lot of new and wonderful things ahead of us this year. So let's stick with it and every one of us be faithful. And uh, just thank, I, I just stop for this moment and thank God for you for supplying the needs of me and my family in these last years. But uh, anyway, Amos was accused here falsely. He says in verse uh, 12, Also Amaziah, said unto Amos, O thou seer, go flee thee away, run away into the land of Judah. He was threatening him too. And there eat bread and prophesy there. But prophesy not again any more at Bethel, 
Well, that's where it needed because that's where they had the idol worship. For it is the king's chapel. Well, Amos didn't mind if it was the king's chapel. He's going to preach the word. And it is the king's court. That belongs to the king. You better stay away from there. Then answered Amos and said unto Amos, I, verse 14, I was no prophet, neither was a prophet's son. He's saying, I'm not a professional prophet as such. He says, but I was a herdman and a gatherer of sycamore fruit. That's the wild fig. A herdman? He says, my occupation was a herdman when God called me. And a gatherer of sycamore fruit. Actually, it was a wild fig and it had to be punctured before it would ripen. So there was more to it than just gathering up the figs. You had to puncture those figs. I don't know how it was done, but they possibly with a sharp stick or something to, to get them to ripen. Otherwise, they wouldn't ripen. And anyway, uh, that's what he was doing. And he was busy about doing what he wanted, uh, what uh, he was to do in life. And God called him out of that, what he was doing there, to do his work. We said earlier when we was talking about uh, Amos and his calling and his country and, and very many things in the introduction. Some of you were here and some of you were not. That uh, God chooses people that are busy. He doesn't choose lazy people to do His work. If you'll know, go, go through the Scripture, you'll find that, that those that God called were busy doing something. It may have been a very menial task, but they were busy and they would do their work. Look at uh, Jesus calling the apostles. They were all about their business. They were fishermen. They were in a fishing business. We find even Matthew the publican was collecting the taxes, which a lot of people frowned upon. Didn't but he was busy. But he says he was doing these things, and the Lord took me as I followed the flock, and the Lord said unto me, Go prophesy unto my people Israel. He's, he's saying I was divinely called of God to do what I'm doing. So he's answering Amaziah's questions about his uh, authority to be the uh, prophet he is. Now therefore hear thou the word of the Lord. He says, I'm going to continue. I'll tell you again. And he was telling Amaziah. And when he's telling Amaziah, he was as much as telling what Jeroboam would go through. He says, Now therefore hear thou the word of the Lord. Thou sayest, Prophesy not against Israel, and drop not thy word against the house of Isaac. Therefore thus saith the Lord, the Lord, thy wife shall be an harlot in the city, and thy sons and thy daughters shall fall by the sword, and thy land shall be divided by line, and thou shalt die in a polluted land. And Israel shall surely go into captivity forth of this land. <coughs> he didn't, Amaziah didn't silence the prophetic word, did he? But Amos kept on doing what he was supposed to do. Now chapter 8, verse 1. And we get to the basket of summer fruit. Look at it. Chapter 8, verse 1. Thus hath the Lord God showed unto me, and behold... A basket of summer fruit. And he said, Amos, what seest thou? And I said, A basket of summer fruit. Then said the Lord unto me, The end is come upon my people of Israel. I will not again pass by them any more. He said that judgment was imminent, that they are ripe for judgment. Just like summer fruit would soon, if it was not tended to or eaten or taken care of, it would soon perish. And he says, And the songs of the temple shall be howlings in that day, saith the Lord God. He's talking about an imminent judgment. There shall be many dead bodies in every place. They shall cast them forth with silence. Hear this, O ye that swallow up the needy, even to make the poor of the land to fail. He's talking about what caused their judgment to, to be so ripe and ready to come. He says, to make the poor of the land to fail, to swallow up the needy. Verse 5, saying, when will the... Now, here's the attitude about religion. Look, when will the new moon be gone that we may sell corn and the Sabbath that we may set forth wheat, making the ephah small and the shekel great and falsifying the balances by deceit? Do you see what, what they were doing? 
They said, we don't have time to worship God. I hope the Sabbath will soon be gone where I can get back to business and make some money and the new moon be gone and the Sabbath be uh, passed that we may set forth wheat, making the ephah small and the shekel great. In other words, the measurement was small, but the price was high. Just give a little bit. (laughs) I'll give you an example of what we're talking about. And of course, it's all legit nowadays. But on the other hand, you know, I like these little windmill cookies that Archway makes. And they used to be a pound in a package. Well, instead of going up on the price, they cut them down to about 12 ounces for a long period of time. Well, I still buy them because they're so good. But on the other hand, now you know what's in the package? Ten ounces. They cut them down to at least one-third, and the price is still the same. Or maybe even higher. I haven't paid any much attention to that. may have gone up on the fewer. But I'm just saying, you know, a lot of people, and that's the way a lot of your products are in the market today. Instead of going up on the price, they just cut down on the amount. And you think you're getting the same thing. You go buy it and think, well, I used to have a, I have a little uh, Ziploc bag, and i take them out of the package, you know, put them in there and keep them fresh. Used to it fill that up and have them stacked up. Now it won't even fill it crossways, you know. <laughs> So you wonder where, it, where it's going to end up. I may not even need a bag. I'll eat them all at once the next time. But uh, th- these people, they, they deliberately went up on prices. And what did they do? They made the ephah small and the shekel great. And look, in the last part of verse 5, "...and falsifying the balances by deceit, that we may buy the poor for silver and the needy for a pair of shoes." Yea, and sell the refuse of wheat. Instead of selling the wheat, they sold the, just the, the worst part of it, the refuse of wheat. Did, do you suppose that they made it cheaper? No, they get, got just as much money for that as they did the, the good wheat. The Lord has sworn by the excellency of Jacob, surely I will never forget any of their works. Look at this. Shall not the land tremble for this? And every one mourn that dwelleth therein, and it shall rise up holy as a flood, and it shall be cast out and drowned as by the flood of Egypt. And it shall come to pass in that day, saith the Lord God, that I will cause the sun to go down at noon, and I will darken the earth in the clear day. Some have taken this as a literal, some figurative. We know that God is able to make it dark in, the, in a clear day. We know as far, but to, to attach a prophetic meaning to it here and now is is rather unnecessary. We know Jesus speaks of the time that the sun will be darkened and the moon shall not give her light. Uh, we know that uh, also in the book of Revelation we find things happening of that nature. And even when Jesus died on the cross, we find that there was a darkness over all the land for a space of uh, three full hours. There was daylight from uh, nine o'clock in the morning till noon. And then from noon till three o'clock in the afternoon, there was darkness over all the land till Jesus died and gave up the ghost. Three hours of daylight and three hours of darkness. When Jesus, that Jesus hung on the cross, there was more daylight and more darkness than that. But I'm saying for the time that he hung on the cross. But anyway, I don't think that has a prophetic meaning to that. It's showing that God is able to bring darkness or light, and also the the fact that he is. Uh, bringing judgment upon those that have been so uh, sinful and covetous in their actions that they were due judgment. Now, verse 10, And I will turn your feast into mourning, it be weeping, crying, and all your songs into lamentation. <clears throat> and I will bring up sackcloth upon all loins. Sackcloth in the Old Testament also is symbolical of 
sadness. Remember Job when he was afflicted sat in sackcloth and ashes and others have. Uh, and baldness upon every head. And I will make it as the morning of an only son. And the end thereof as a bitter day. And he continues to show this imminent judgment that is about to fall upon Israel. And he says, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord God, that I will send a famine in the land. Now notice, not a famine of bread, nor of thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. You see, they had so neglected hearing the word of the Lord that God says, I'm going to give a famine. You won't even be able to hear it. You know, there might be a good application to you and I today in in this particular uh, verse of Scripture. That now we have Bibles on every hand. We have uh, preachers on every hand. We have churches on every corner. We have the land filled with with uh, churches, places of worship. And we have a, a preaching on the radio and the television. But there may be a day that that will be out too. And I'm sure that it may even be here. There may be a connection of, of a prophetic nature here that in the future we'll see that kind of a time that he's predicting here for Israel of old. But of hearing the words of the Lord. If you turn back to his uh, warning against uh, uh, Judah in chapter 2, verse 4, look at this. What their, their uh, sin was, chapter 2, verse 4, Thus saith the Lord, for three transgressions of Judah, and for four I will not turn away the punishment thereof. Now look. Because they despise, they have despised the law of the Lord and have not kept His commandments. So back there, even Judah had despised the law of the Lord. And for men to continue to despise God's Word and say we don't want anything to do with it, there may be a time that they will thirst for it and will not be able to have it. We'll continue here in chapter 8 and verse 12. And they shall wander from sea to sea, And from the north even to the east, they shall run to and fro to seek the word of the Lord and shall not find it. I remember back in the time that I was in the seminary, there was a Japanese man that came, a missionary to us, that he'd been preaching to his own people. But the man was from Japan. And he was telling of an experience that he had of climbing mountain after mountain because he had heard of a little bookstore somewhere beyond one of these mountains that had a little... uh, Maybe just a, like a Gospel of John. Not a whole Bible. Not an, even a New Testament. But to go and get some piece of Christian uh, literature. And there he found this little Gospel of John. One Gospel of the four. One book of the New Testament. None of the old. And starving to, to find it. And I thought back then, when I was in the seminary, of how that some people then were thirsting for... Uh, to have a Bible, to have the New Testament, to have the Word of God. And here you can go to the, the Five and Dimes store and, and get one, right? Of course, there's no Five and Dimes anymore, but you can go to Walmart, or, which is about the same, or Walgreens or somewhere. And you can find Bibles all over, can't you? You can find them anywhere. You don't have to buy an expensive. But uh, we have the Word of God around us every day. So it says... Uh, In verse 12, And they shall wander from sea to sea, and from north even to the east. They shall run to and fro, and seek the word of the Lord, and shall not find it. In that day shall the fair virgins and the young men faint for thirst. What kind of thirst? Thirst for the word of God. They that swear by the sin of Samaria, and say, Thy God, O Dan, liveth. Remember there was a 
one of the idols set up in Dan and one in Bethel when we read in the book of Kings where Jeroboam had set up one of the golden calves in Bethel and the other in Dan. We're talking about the southern, northern and the southern part of, uh, of the land of Israel and of Judah so that the people wouldn't have to go to Jerusalem to worship. And so he says, They that swear by the sin of Samaria and say, Thy God, O Dan, liveth, and the manner of Bathsheba liveth, even they shall fall and never rise up again. Their idols are going to be destroyed and fall and never rise again. We'll let that suffice for tonight, and we'll pick up with the ninth chapter. Be sure and be here Sunday night for this ninth chapter, because there's some prophetic things a promise of future things in the ninth chapter here. The last part of it has to do with future, and it's quoted in the book of Acts by James, and we find that it has relation to the future aspect of uh, the conversion of the Gentiles and of the future of, uh, the, of Israel and the throne of David being set up and uh, all of this, the tabernacle of David being uh, rebuilt and everything like that. So there's a lot from verses 11 through 15 that have to do with the future. And so try to be here. Thank you for your patience and your kind attention.